At this time, if you are able, I invite you to please arise and face our entrance. As I say the invocation, let us remember we are calling on God Almighty to be with us in a special way so that we can not only hear the word of God, but we can understand it, we can believe it, we can apply it in our lives. And as we receive the sacrament, let us know beyond all doubt that in Christ, because of who he is and what he has done, our sins are forgiven. We continue here in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, you are Emmanuel, God with us. O Christ, you came to set us free. O Lord, you know the path of knowledge. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. So we're thinking about our Christmas tree today and when you think about a Christmas tree, does it remind you of Jesus right away? Not really, does it? Not really. Okay. Well, well let's, let's, let's look at the tree and see if we can come up with some things that would remind us about Jesus. So if we kind of stand back and look at it, you can see it's like in the shape of a point. Do you see that? Very good, Leo. It's... It, Okay, so it's, po it's pointing the way right to heaven. So that is one thing when you see a tree like this, you can see it's pointing right to heaven. Now, now, if you look at the color of the tree, 
Now, when we think about regular trees, they have leaves, and then the leaves turn brown and they fall off. But this is what we call an evergreen tree, so it's green all the time. Now, of course, it's an artificial tree, so it's always going to be green. But anyway, if it was a real pine tree outside, it would always be green. So is there something with Jesus that is like always true for us because we know Jesus? Kind of a hard question. Now, through Jesus, we have the gift of eternal, eternal life. So just like this tree is always green, through Jesus, we have the gift of eternal life. That means we are living now, so we are spiritually alive now through Jesus. And even when our bodies die someday, our spiritual life will continue to live and go right and be with God. And then, do you know what's going to happen when Jesus returns on the last day? Then he's going to make our bodies alive and then put us back together in body, soul, and spirit. We are going to be with God forever. That's going to be so awesome. What, what else can we say about the tree that reminds us of Jesus? Anything else? Oh, okay, very good. So some of the ornaments then. So, so Olive noted the pearl cross here. Here's another beautiful cross. When we see the dove, we are thinking, well, not so much about Jesus, but about the Holy Spirit. And what did I see over here? Oh, down here. So we have, we have a cross and a manger. So you can see the baby Jesus. And it says on there, John 3.16. Do you know John 3.16? For God so... Great job, Cedric. Yes, so that tells us so much. For God so loved the world. In other words, he loved the world so much that he sent his son and he sent him for us so that through him we can have eternal life. There's one more thing I'm thinking about with the tree that points us to Jesus. You got the final one, Cedric. Very good. I was thinking about the lights, and Cedric has the whole thing. He said, he said I'm thinking about the lights, and Jesus is the light of the world. So that is excellent. So yeah, in John chapter 1, you know, John the baptizer, he was sent to point people to the light. He himself is not the true light, but he came to point people to Jesus who is the true light of the world. So I hope every time you guys see a Christmas tree now, you're thinking about the shape, you're thinking about the color, you're looking at the ornaments, and you're thinking about the lights, and you can see, oh my goodness, that is pointing to Jesus so very much in so many ways. Okay, guys, thanks for coming up.
We come now to our Old Testament reading. We are in Isaiah chapter 7, a common reading at this time of the year. Not the easiest reading, though, so let me read it and explain some as I go. We have to go a little bit ahead of the reading to understand what was going on, and then we'll get into the reading itself. So the first question here, what was the situation? Well, Ahaz, he was the king of Judah, and he was filled with great fear. Why was that? Because Syria and Israel, two great nations, they were planning to attack him. Imagine if our nation, imagine if China and Russia decided to get together and we knew that an attack was imminent and we're just waiting for it to happen, how would we feel about that? That would be a difficult situation. It's a little bit what was going on a long time ago with Ahaz. So how did the Lord help him though? Well, he sent Isaiah to tell him to not be afraid now, that sounds easy, don't be afraid, but we need a reason for that. So he said, don't be afraid because it's simply not going to happen. Now, what about for us? Do we sometimes think things are going to happen so we end up worrying about them happening? Have you ever done that? I looked it up recently, and they say that 85% of what people worry about never happens. It, doesn't that make us look kind of foolish? That here we are, all this worrying, 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 and the vast majority of it never happens anyway. God is saying, don't worry, trust in me. Um, easier said than done. But a passage like this, God wants us to see how it worked out for the nation of Judah, and God is at work in our lives too. Okay, so this is how the Lord tried to give assurance to Ahaz. The Bible says, picking up in verse 10, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God and keep it as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Why was Ahaz unwilling to ask? Well, it's because he did not believe the Lord. It's always better when people in important positions in a nation are God-fearing men and women. Then their hearts are right. Then they know the Bible is true. Then they are trusting in the Almighty God. It's always going to be a better thing. But here is Ahaz. He is maybe trying to come forth as a godly man, but he simply isn't. He is not trusting in the Lord. Look what Isaiah said with his disappointment. Verse 13, Isaiah said to him, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? See, when Isaiah says that, he's saying, Hey, God is my God, but I can tell by what you said, Ahaz, he is not your God. So when we really have confidence in God Almighty, that's going to make a difference in how we speak, how we live, how we interact with others. So may God grant that that difference will show more and more and more. And then we come to these two signs. So Ahaz, he's unwilling to pick a sign. So the Lord's like, okay, 
I'm going to pick a couple signs and let me give them to you. So now we come to the famous one here. But keep in mind, though, uh, oftentimes when the prophets give prophecies or they give signs about something in the future, it's almost always one that will happen soon and one that will happen much later. Now, the way these are laid out here is the one that will happen much later, that is stated first, and then the one that will happen very soon is stated second. So what's important about that? The very first sign here that we're going to come to, it's a sign that we would have to say is completely impossible. It cannot happen. But yet, the other one that will happen soon, at least to Ahaz, it's, it also seems completely impossible. So what is the Lord trying to do? He's trying to say, I'm going to let this one happen soon so you know that I can do what is impossible. And then you should also know that the other one I said that won't happen for a long time, I'm going to do that one too. God wants us to have complete confidence in his promises. So the first sign, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we're talking about something that would not happen for about 700 years. Now, maybe people read about that and they long gave up on it. Should we ever give up on a promise of God? By no means. Whatever God says, he's always operating on his own timeline. So we can always trust God. We can always be confident that when the time is right, or what does it say there in Galatians, when, it, when was it that God sent his son? In the fullness of time. So think about a container, you know, and it's filling up and filling up and filling up. And finally, when it was full, oh, that's the time to send for God to send his son. God has it all figured out. Now the second sign here that's going to happen during the lifetime of Ahaz. This is a bit more difficult, but see if you can follow it here. Verse 15, he, now we're talking about a different child. Not the child born of the virgin, but he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So Ahaz is looking at these two great nations and thinking, oh my goodness, they're great in and of themselves. When they combine together, they're going to even be greater and they're going to come and they're going to overwhelm us. And the Lord is saying it's not going to happen. He is saying that there is going to be a child that is born and when that child is still young, those nations, did you see what it said there? The land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So within a few years, we could say, those nations are no longer going to be significant and Judah is no longer going to have to have a concern about them. Now, it seems impossible, but yet the Lord will bring it about. We know what the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. 
So we should never be in the gloom and doom category. We should know that no matter how bad it looks, God is ultimately the winner. Even if you think about the end of the Bible, think about Revelation chapter 19. We're coming right to the end of time, right to the end of the world. The forces of evil now have surrounded all of the people who are left, who are believers in the Almighty God, and they're coming to finally wipe out every believer. What, what's going to happen at that moment? Right then, Jesus will come, and he will wipe out the forces of evil. Wouldn't it be so exciting to live at that time? Maybe we are living at that time. Even now, the forces of evil are getting stronger and stronger and wanting to silence people like you and me. But yet, Jesus, what does it say there in Revelation 1? It says that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is God Almighty. He is in charge, and someday everybody's going to know that is true. Let's always be certain when we have Jesus, we are on the winning team. And one day, the whole world is going to see that reality. Today's epistle reading comes from Romans chapter 1. It's a little bit of a different reading for this time of the year, but we have Paul's introductory words as he writes this very important letter to the Christians living in Rome. Notice what he wrote. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. You can see that Paul had a particular calling. And actually, even for myself being here at Bethlehem, God called me to study and prepare to be a pastor. And then God was at work through this congregation that was assembled back many years ago now in order to call me to be here. Something that I'm humbled by because I don't really think that 
I could share anything with you that would be of any significance, but God wants me to be here, so I'm trying to be here and do the best I can to be a blessing to each one of you. I don't want us to ever just be in the situation of just somehow going to church and going through the motions, but I just pray that God would help all of us just to have that that sincere and close relationship with the Almighty God, just to know how much God loves us, to know for certain that in Christ we are forgiven, and then to understand that God has a plan for each of our lives. God wants us to grow up in his word. God wants us to live with zeal for our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to care about the salvation of others. So I've said that much, and sometimes it's like, okay, we heard a pastor. Now, how do we actually work that out in our lives? But let's work together, though, and try to figure that out. Uh, as Cedric pointed out, that the lights on the tree are pointing to the light of Christ, our prayer is that Bethlehem here in Parma would be a light, would be a beacon of truth to those who live in our community, that they would know how much God loves them, that they would know the way to heaven through Jesus, and that they would come and rejoice with us. So let's pray that God would do such things. You can see in the reading that it tells us some very important things about the, the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he would come from the family of David, and how in time he would be raised from the dead, as he was already when Paul had written this particular letter. Also here, also too here, it talks in the reading, Paul is reminding the ones in Rome, they have been called to be saints. So I have a call here to Bethlehem, but think about being called by God to be a saint. I think all of us look at ourselves much lower than we should, but according to the Bible, when we are in Christ, we are actually holy in the sight of God. What is a saint? A saint is a holy one. The Bible, when it mentions about saints, it's talking about people who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't it amazing that God would wipe away every sin and make us holy in his sight? We have so much to rejoice in. God is so good to us.
We do come to our gospel reading, but you may remain seated for the reading for today. We come to Matthew chapter 1. So the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the first chapter. When I attended Harold's class last Thursday, I thought he made a very important point that I'll have to admit, I've missed this over the years. Now there's always this pattern when we come to Lent, when we come to Holy Week, and on Palm Sunday, we're not focusing just on Palm Sunday, but we do much more of the week. Now here at Bethlehem, we stop short of Jesus laying down his life to take away our sins, but there are in some congregations though, they are going all the way through the death of Jesus. But why are they doing that? because some people just never come during the week. So we're celebrating on Palm Sunday. They come back for the big celebration on Easter Sunday, and they miss what happened in between. So we have to kind of include that sometimes on Palm Sunday. I never made that connection, Harold, to that happening during Advent, but that's exactly what we have going because we have a reading here that's bringing us right to the birthday of Jesus. Why is that? That's for the people. Now, it's a little bit different this year, Christmas on Sunday. However, though, when Christmas is falling during the week, can you imagine someone, so they come and worship on Sunday, and then Christmas happens during the week, they don't attend, and now that we're already beyond Christmas by the time they come back. So on that fourth Sunday in Advent, we kind of go right up to the birth of Jesus, just in case you don't come back at Christmas. So it's a little bit of an unusual way to look at it, but I suppose some people maybe can't come. But anyway, though, in a way I find it unusual, but in a way now I can understand it. So thanks a lot, Harold. Coming to our reading here, um, very familiar to us, but try to imagine being Joseph, and imagine the circumstances of his life, and imagine living back at that time, and what the expectations were. So try to put yourself into his shoes as I read. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Looking back here for a moment, of course we see that 
Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So we think about what it says in Luke chapter 1, also think about what we confess in the creeds. And then when we think about Joseph, keep in mind, he was the legal father. When we take a look at how things line up in the Bible, we know that both Mary and Joseph, both of them, they are descended from the family of David a thousand years earlier. So Mary coming from one son of David, Joseph coming through the line of a different son of David, but both of them from David. And then we see Joseph, he is the perfect legal father, but we know that God, he is the true father. So Jesus is the son of God in human flesh. Also too, the key verse here that always jumps out at me is what the angel then said to Joseph, she will bear a son, talking about Mary. So that's really her primary role. She is the mom and she's gonna give birth to this son and then she's going to raise him like any mom would do. That is her role. Did you see the role of Joseph? Joseph, you are to name the child. You are to give him the name Jesus. People say different things about the meaning of the name Jesus, but a simple way to think about it is the name means the Lord saves. And then what does it say about the role of Jesus? So important, he's the one the spotlight should be on because he will save his people from their sins. If you really step back and think about it, I mean, we're talking about the fulfillment of a promise that God made 4,000 years earlier. God is a patient God. God has it all figured out. He has a perfect timetable. But after all that time, and then finally working through Mary, working in conjunction with Joseph, his son is brought into the world, born in Bethlehem, just like the Bible promises would happen. And then, of course, we came to the prophecy there that we read earlier from Isaiah 7. So exactly as God said it would happen, the virgin would conceive and bear a child. Um, sounds pretty crazy, but yet it happened. Can you imagine the disappointment of Joseph when he finds out, oh, the woman I'm engaged to, and actually we're kind of like we're married, she's pregnant, and I haven't been with her. I mean, what disappointment. But yet Joseph was such a godly man that he was willing to do this secretly, that he would end their relationship secretly, because if he didn't, Mary could have been stoned to death. So he was going to do the right thing. It was a good thing he was planning to do, but it must have been quite a dream. You know, we all have dreams, don't we? But do we ever want to change our lives because of a dream? This must have been quite an extraordinary dream. Joseph must have known that this is truly an this is truly a messenger of God who is communicating with me. And Joseph, being a God-fearing man, he's willing to follow what the angel said. Now for us, we should not be following all of our dreams. That could be a dangerous thing. But when we have a dream and it lines up with the word of God, yes, that's the dream to follow.
Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for assuring us that we are forgiven through the promised Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.